Welcome back, guys. Today we're going to do something a little different. We want to talk about how the New Testament writers quoted Old Testament, specifically the prophecies of the Old Testament. And the reason why we're doing this is basically two reasons. We have began our study of one of the Gospels, namely Matthew, and we'll see certain things. If you watch the video that I did on chapter two, you should always you should already be aware of how I began to deal with how Matthew was quoting the Old Testament. But nevertheless, how Jews of the first century quoted the Old Testament, especially the rabbis. It was a rabbinical tradition and the writers of the New Testament. And this is important because if you don't understand this basic concept of how they interpreted or quoted Old Testament prophecies, you begin to think that the Bible is somewhat in error. So we're going to deal with that issue today and we're going to look at how the New Testament writers quoted the Old Testament. And since we've already done Matthew chapter two, and it is a beautiful thing how in Matthew chapter two, it deals with all four ways that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament prophet or the fulfillment of Old Testament prophets. And we're going to get all of our examples from chapter two. So this basically should simply refresh you in your understanding of this and give you a further understanding of New Testament writers quoting uh, how they quoted Old Testament prophecies. And as well as this is also done by the rabbis. Okay. Now what we see is this can be pretty much understood and, uh, uh, remembered better with an acronym. Okay. And that acronym is the word pardes, pardes. Now we're going to walk you through each of it. Okay. So let's begin one of the first ways in which the old Testament prophecies were, uh, interpreted in the new Testament. All right. That is pardes P and P stands for Peshat, Peshat. Now Peshat literally means a simple, basic meaning, or as we would understand it today, a literal fulfillment of prophecy. One of the first examples we can see, and we're going to stay in Matthew chapter two. One of the first things that we can see is Matthew's quotation. That is in Matthew two, verse number six, Matthew two and six of his quoting Micah five and two. We're going to look, we're going to look at the passage and you Bethlehem, Matthew two and six land of Judah are by no means least among the leaders of Judah for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now let's flip over to Micah five and two. And it says, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So what Matthew is simply doing is he is quoting Micah five and two concerning Jesus. That is the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem as a literal fulfillment of scripture. Why do, why, what do we see Jesus? And we know in the context that when Herod called his own wise men and his scribes, his own priests and scribes, 
uh, they quoted Micah five and two, a literal fulfillment for the birth of the Messiah would be in Bethlehem. And so this is literally what took place. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this is an example of what we would simply call a literal fulfillment of prophecy. It said he would be born in Bethlehem. And indeed he was born in Bethlehem. So now let's look at the second, second acronym. And that is Remis. That is the aura Remis and Remis simply means, um, uh, hint or typology. And this is what we understand as something that is typological. Now you've heard me talk about that. If you've been following any of my teachings, that there's a typological uh, understanding of certain things in scripture. Okay. But since we are in Matthew, let's look at our second example of remis, which means uh, typological, a hint. And that would be found in Matthew two and verse 15. And it reads, he remained there until the death of Herod. This was fulfilled that what this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. That's Matthew's account. And Matthew is relating to Hosea 11 and one. Now let's read Hosea 11 and one. When Israel was a youth, I loved him and out of Egypt, I call my son. So we can see clearly. Now let's go to the old Testament passage first in Hosea 11 and one notice when Israel was a youth, this is clearly talking about the nation of Israel in bondage in Egypt. And God refers to Israel as his son. And I think we can see that in Exodus chapter four. And what happened? God delivered Israel out of bondage to Egypt. And by him referring to Israel as his son, what does he say in Hosea? Out of Egypt, I call my son. So the literal meaning of this is God calling the nation of Israel, even delivering the nation of Israel out of Egypt and him referring to the nation of Israel as his son. But what does Matthew, or should we say, how does Matthew use it? The occasion is when the angels told Joseph to take Mary and the child Jesus out, out of Israel, you know, because Herod was seeking to kill him into the land of Egypt so that in his reference to the son, the reference to the son is not no longer uh, Israel, but the reference to the son here in Matthew is Jesus so that it can be fulfilled. What out of Egypt? I call my son Jesus. That is so that when God would tell Joseph to return back to the land of Israel from Egypt, it would be a fulfillment of prophecy out of Egypt. I'm sorry. Yes, correct. Out of Egypt, I call my son Jesus. So it is typological. What do I mean? Notice in the same way that he calls Israel, his son and Israel from Egypt in a similar way. He calls Jesus, but we know Jesus is the son of God, but in a similar comparison as it is to prophecy. So 
even though Hosea is not so much as prophecy, because what is Hosea doing? Hosea is looking back on the event because Israel had been been delivered out of Egypt. But Matthew is using this verse in a typological sense. And this is what we mean by a type, some sort of similarity, some things that are similarity. And we can see how Jesus being called Jesus, the son of God being called from Egypt is very similar to Hosea 11 and one Israel as a son of God being called out of Egypt. Okay. And that is called a remis. Now also there is a drash. A drash simply is uh, the idea it brings about is application. And I was telling you guys about that uh, quite a bit in the teaching of Matthew chapter two. So drash deals with a dealing with an Old Testament prophecy and finding one point, just one point is all is necessary. One point of similarity and then uh, portraying that in New Testament uh, language or a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the New Testament. Now this Matthew does in Matthew chapter two, verse number 17 and 18. So let's begin reading that. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. What a voice was heard in Rama weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And this directly relates to Old Testament uh, uh, word prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31 in verse 15. And that reads, let me get to it. Thus says the Lord, a voice heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, when we look at these two passages, they are drastically different because let's deal with the old Testament passage and what it was talking about first. That's where we always want to go. What was the old Testament passage pointing to? It was dealing with the, the young men of Rama being taken as slaves into Babylon and the Jerusalem mothers it calls her Rachel because Rachel is the symbol of motherhood. And so therefore the Jerusalem mothers seeing their young men being taken into Babylon, Babylon as slaves, they knew they would never see these sons anymore. So therefore they were weeping. Now let's go to Matthew's point of view. Matthew as he was dealing in 17 and 18, Matthew was saying because Herod had sent his soldiers to kill all the babies in, in Bethlehem, those babies that were two years old and younger and all those babies were killed. And these babies once again were in Bethlehem. 
not in Rama, like Je Jeremiah was talking about. And these were once again, babies, not what Jeremiah was talking about. Jeremiah was talking about young men and these babies were killed. Not what Jeremiah was talking about. Jeremiah said they were led into captivity. That was his point, but these babies were killed. So notice there's a drastic difference in what is going on. But why did Matthew quote this as a fulfillment of Jeremiah? Because he was using a drash and that the method methodology, a drash that is looking for one point of application. And what is that one point of application? As it was with Jeremiah, these Jerus these Jewish mothers weeping because they would never see their sons again going into captivity. And in Matthew, what happened in Bethlehem point, these Jewish mothers weeping because they too would never see their sons again because they were killed. And that's the point of similarity. And this is what a drash does. It creates an application and you basically need one point of agreement to deal with separation, the fulfillment of a prophecy. So you look for that single point. And we often do that today. Preachers often do that. They are, they'll be reading the scriptures and what they'll do is they will give an example of our, what's going on in our day, what's going on in our time. And this is called, this is what we call an exposition of the scriptures. When you apply what the scripture is saying to something in modern life today, this is a drash because it, it is an application looking for minimal, just one point in common. Okay. Now the final one, is called the sold. And we can only look at the New Testament application of this because there is no Old Testament application. So in a sold, it simply means a summary. And, and that's when we look at, let's just simply go to the verse that Matthew used, Matthew 2 and 23. And he says, and came and, came and lived in a city called Nazareth. That's Joseph with Mary and Jesus came and city and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So the idea concerning this particular issue is if you look at old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, there is no place in the old Testament where it is said that the, that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Now, some kind of confuse it in, in that this is fulfilled in Isaiah 11 and one, but in Isaiah 11 and one, that word netzer, netzer, which means a branch. Okay. And so it's basically dealing with the, 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 that one who should come from the line of David, when the line of David is basically a fallen hut, a fallen hut. And the idea of the fallen hut means it no longer has the esteem that the family and the uh, genealogical line of David once had. It's no, no longer the big time family of David, but it is basically a fallen hut. And therefore that which comes from him, the branch. And that's what is referring to the Messiah as the branch. This is not 
even though it sounds netzer, this does not mean Nazarene at all. But what it does is in a sold or a summary, and you'll see that as notice in all of the earlier prophecies that Matthew had given, Micah 5 and 2, or Hosea 11 and 1, or Jeremiah 31 and 15. They referenced a particular prophet. It was a reference to a particular prophet, and notice the word was used singular, the prophet. But here in verse 23, it says prophets in the plural, and that becomes our clue, which means that he is not talking about a, a particular prophetic fulfillment, but he is summarizing all the things, the ideas concerning what he is saying here, a Nazarene. So what does the scripture say about a Nazarene? We can see such things in fulfillment like Isaiah 49 and other things in the scripture, how that the Messiah would be downtrodden or Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and all the things that was in the understanding in the minds of the Jewish people. John chapter one, when Philip goes to Nathaniel and say, we have found the Messiah. And what was the response of Nathaniel? Nothing good can come from <laughs> Nazareth. So therefore, all of the negativism, how that even a Nazareth of Galilee, they were not considered to be places for learned men. Some of the Shivas or the schools, rabbinical schools, were, they didn't have any schools of renown in Nazareth. They were all in Jerusalem, basic for the most part, in the south. So the idea concerns Nazarene speaks of a despondent person, somebody who's looked down upon, a person of no great name or character, despised and forsaken. All of this comes in summary. Summary, when we look at Jesus, this is the picture of Jesus. So Matthew says in verse number 23, he should be called a Nazarene because he summarized all of that concept con concerning Jesus in the, t in the type of, in, and I'm using, I won't say type, but in the word of Nazarene, one who is looked down and one who has no great name. Okay. So what do we see? This forms for us, this acronym Pardes. What? Peshit, let's go, let's, let's do a quick review. Peshat, and that is literal fulfillment. Remez, that is typological fulfillment. Drash, that is an application. That means you look for one point, and then we say this is a fulfillment. That, that's how the New Testament writers would use it. Drash, one point of application, okay? It makes an application. And then sold, which simply means summary. You're not trying to quote any one particular prophet. And usually when it's a sold, it deals with prophets in the plural, but you are summarizing that event. Now, for us in our time, because we're not Jewish, we may not remember the word pardes that is commonly used in the rabbinical uh, dealing with how Old Testament 
uh, prophecies are viewed and New Testament writers viewed, understood uh, Old Testament prophecies. We may not remember Pardes so well, but we can use another acronym that would be familiar to us. And that word is SALT, S-A-L-T. S for what? For summary, a summarization. So S would be equivalent to the sold, but a summary of the prophets, how we look at no particular prophet whatsoever, but a summarization of Old Testament prophets. A, dealing with application, one point of similarity. And from that, we make an application. What Matthew did with the, uh, the women crying out because their children were no more. L would be a literal fulfillment. What Matthew did when he said this was to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet, that is Micah, that Jesus should be born in Bethlehem. And then T for typological. Typological simply means, and, and, and we saw that when he started to deal with the issue of uh, remes, and that is out of Egypt I called my son. So SALT would be an acronym for us that would be easy to remember. And in understanding all of this that I just got through talking about, we understand how the New Testament writers dealt with Old Testament prophecies in their fulfillment because failure to understand how they did this, how they would interpret Old Testament fulfillment with New Testament, you'll sometimes think that the New Testament is in some way inaccurate or in error when that is not the sort, not the case whatsoever. But they are simply uh, interpreting these prophecies in this manner. All right, guys, thanks for joining me on that. Uh, and I hope that this helped you understand when the New Testament writers would quote the Old Testament prophecies in their fulfillment and you won't fall into the trap of saying, I don't think that's right. You have to understand how they quoted the old. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too, guys. All the, the computers, the cameras, the blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So if God touches your mind and your heart, bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachings help you, bless the ministry, send a donation, or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it. I don't do it to make money, God forbid. But I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously, with joy, because it does give my heart joy, to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment, okay? So help me out.